Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Enda Call here with you in the company of Juco James and just Juco James because Alan Morrison demanded that he get a minimum of two weeks off as a holiday at the end of this season. It was part of his contract. There's nothing you can do. Superstar Divas James, they demand these huge deals. They get what they want and the power is just with the major podcasters now. That's all you can do. You're exactly right. I mean, we just have to suck it up and... um you know, I, have, I haven't been on vacation at all this year. And here's this guy. He's retired nominally. I mean, I think his profession now is uh, traveling and, um, you know, having four pints with lunch. That, I think that's what <laughs> Alan has graduated onto in his career. So, now we, we wish him the best. And uh, I'm sure he's enjoying his time um, getting sunburned somewhere. Yeah, the Scottish people do not take well to the sun, so I would presume he is getting sunburned somewhere in the world. Uh, look, today's podcast is going to be relatively straightforward. There's loads of activity going on in the Celtic world, especially to do with transfers, and we haven't actually spoken live in the last couple of weeks, so there have been a few ins and outs since we lasted an actual recorded show. So, um, com- com- Compared been- to where we thought things were going to be like six weeks ago uh, from a you know, I, I, you know, as you being a content professional, you start to think about, okay, what are we going to do in the future? And, mm-hmm. and you know, there was definitely going to be some things that we had to think about if Ange stayed. But, um, yeah, a lot more things to think about and have occurred in the last uh, few weeks. So uh, it makes it a lot easier to, to shoot the you-know-what on, on uh, dopey podcasts like this. It absolutely does. So today's podcast is going to be a transfer heavy one. We're going to be looking at the ins and outs since we last spoke and sort of the rumors that are swirling about, especially to do with a young Swiss midfielder coming from young boys who could be Celtic's new record transfer, if you were to believe what is being reported. So James, the last time we spoke, Jota was still a Celtic player. Mm -hmm. They didn't get 25 million for the winger. And we didn't actually have a couple of players at the club uh, that are now at the club. So since we last spoke, Marco Tilio has joined the club from Melbourne City. Oden Holm has joined from Valeringa. Kyogo has signed a new four-year deal, as has uh, Dyson Maida as of today, which is great news. And Jao-Philippe Jota has left the club for Saudi club Al-Itihad. So £25 million. I'm I'm going to say in the bank, but let's just clarify this from the get-go. £25 million for Jota, a transfer fee, 
that does not automatically mean that Celtic have 25 million in the transfer kitty to spend. Can we, can we just put that to bed right now? Yeah. So um, it really depends. And that's the part as outsiders and supporters, we just can't know. So, um, you know, I, I think it had been reported in the past that Peter Lawwell was fairly, um, uh, uh, you know, stringent on getting payment upfront or at least accelerated, but there, a lot of these deals are financed, you know, almost like a vendor financing over two to three seasons. Um, and, and the, the other part of this is, you know, there's bonuses sometimes that are included in the, the headline number. So it depends on how many games, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's going to be a decent number regardless. And, and I think, in preparation for this conversation, I had a, a fresh look at the interim report um, as of 12-31-22. And I think that's another um, common misperception among supporters. Again, very understandably, because most people aren't uh, accountants or have training in, in, in accounting. So um, the report showed $60 million in cash. So the obvious normal supporter response is, holy crap. We had 60 million. We just got another 25 million from Joe for selling Jota. Let's say we sell maybe one more, which again, just from guys maybe wanting to leave wouldn't be a surprise or someone gets their head turned by a, uh, an English Premier League club, that kind of thing. So I, I think that would be a reasonable guess, maybe another 10 or 15 or 20 million coming. So the obvious thing from a supporter's perspective is holy crap, we have all this money to spend. This rumored 30 million that was going to be the transfer kitty should be 50, 60, 80 million, you know, delusions of grandeur we all fall into. Um, so the thing to remember about the financial statements is that um, when you see that cash number, that's a snapshot in time. And the way that the football clubs, um, Finances work out is they burn cash in the second half of the fiscal year. So basically from January 1 all the way up till 6.30, there's cash going out the door because season ticket money came in at the end of the prior season or the beginning of the um, that season. So kind of in that April, May, June time frame, which I'll, I'll circle back to. Um, and then there's the European money that comes in in the first half of the fiscal year for the most part. So yeah. um, that bloats. Can I that. just clarify one thing just for the yep. listeners? Yep. You use the Americanized version of uh, month and, and days. Is as, the 30th of June is what you're talking about when you say 630. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Jeez. Yes, I apologize. Thank you for translating my gibberish. Correct. The 30th of June. Because um, that's actually the fiscal year end for for most football clubs. Um, to play on that calendar, the, the kind of yeah. normal calendar. So, um, so yeah, you see that sixty million, and you know, I, I we don't know until they get reported later. So we'll get this past season's uh, numbers probably in September or October. But guesstimate somewhere around a four million pound per month burn rate in that back half of the season. Mm-hmm. Right? That's money that goes out the door. Um, that because you just don't have that much coming in in the back half of the season, you know, you have concessions and that kind of stuff at the stadium. But the, the big numbers are already in. Uh, so somewhere between 3,500 and four, four, um, four, four million a, a month. Um, but then you start, then you get the season ticket money in. So when you, when you get that snapshot again for six, uh, for June 30th, later in the annual statement, that's a lot of money that again has been brought in for, 
for the next season's games, all of them. Um, so it's very weird. You have to actually be a, you know, somewhat trained um, accountant or financial analyst to be able to deduce kind of what the what they call free cash flow is. I mean, that what's not encumbered by, you know, uh, things that you have to honor, which is, you know, season tickets. So that's why they get, you get into cash versus accrual accounting, but we won't belabor all those horrible things. But um, so needless to say, I, I, I think a reasonable number is probably close as far as free cash is yeah. probably closer to 30 million. Um, okay. So it's not that 60 number and it probably, it's not whatever's going to show up as of the the June 30th statement either. Um, but for the the reasons that I'm bringing up, so that that's yeah. why in a, in a perpetual cycle, supporters always think the club have more money than they actually do because of these snapshots of December 31st and and June uh, 30th and the timing of expenses and when cash comes into the club. So that that's still a lot of money. I mean, I, it's just not 60, <laughs> right? 30 yeah. is not 60. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, I I, I think this could be. Um, a level setter. I mean, not not all of it, but I think this could um, reasonably uh, end up in some of that rumored thirty million to be bumped up some. The, the other part, and I, I tweeted about this a little while ago, is that the idea if they get more systematic and smart on their player sales, um, and again, I think that's to be determined. This this seems like more of a player and agent initiated move. <laughs> than you know Celtic being smart about selling it selling a player proactively um but if they're able to do that and they kind of pipeline one or two of these guys every season then the potential is there to start moving up the wage bill and and again that's the big one because you know you hear about these rumors about McTominay and you know any any of these other players that are on 70 80 90 100 grand a week right so our, our wage structure has not really evolved in a long time. Um, and to be able to start affording better players, you've got to be able, it's transfer fees are part of it, but the other big one is actually the wage structure and to be able to systematize player sales where you're bringing in maybe 20, th- even, you know, and again, this wouldn't even be crazy relative to our peer group in Europe. You know, I'm not talking about Benfica, Porto or Ajax kind of, um, uh, tier, but if we just get into the kind of the next tier, uh, like you know, um, uh, uh, Red Star and you know some of these other clubs that aren't like dynamic great player trading models, but probably at least double what we've been doing, um, then we could have t- twenty to thirty million a season coming in in incremental revenue on player trading that again supports higher structural wage bill. Um, so instead of being in that kind of 60 million, which is where I'm guessing plus or minus a few million that we probably will come in this past season, maybe you get that up to 70 or 75. Um, and that's, you know, that's a lot. I mean, that, that's another mm-hmm. one or two really good players at that top notch, kind of like what we're going to talk about in a little bit, as far as that next tier of uh, prospect or talent that um, you can attract to play at Celtic because you can give them, you know, a wage that's competitive with the bottom half of the English Premier League. Mm. Well, I think one of the biggest things that will come out of the Jota deal, and it's it has been mentioned. I can't uh, forgive me. I can't remember who tweeted it originally, but this is a great advertisement for 
a young, talented player to come to Celtic, regardless of the wages that Celtic can offer. Because Celtic can, can't really compete with the major leagues across Europe in terms of their wages. I think the highest paid player at the club is on or in or around £45,000, which is less than an academy player gets in the Premier League. But what Celtic can offer is we will put you in the trading window in the Champions League and look, you're not going to sell a player to, to a Saudi club every single time and th- that player is not going to get his wages, you know, bumped up 10 times, 15 times every single time. But you can say to a young, talented player, you're going to be a starter in a big club. It's going to be a huge opportunity for you. You're going to be playing Champions League football. And within two years, we'll have you in a position that we're going to get you a big move to a huge club with much higher wages than ours. And then we'll sell them on. That is something Celtic can offer that I don't think a lot of clubs can because Celtic, in the grand scheme of finances, are not a big club. But in the grand scheme of world football and brand recognition, I hate to go too corporate on it, Celtic are really, really recognisable for world football and for agents and things like that. So it's it's a really it's a it's a really good prospect for any player, young player, to do so, and you get to play for Celtic, which is an added bonus. And we might just hop into the rumor mill for a second because uh, we asked for your questions before the show in terms of the the transfer so far and I think the best place to jump into the rumor that Fabian Reeder from Young Boys is going to be joining the club he's apparently going going to cost around 16 million pounds which would be a new transfer record for Celtic and spending and the question comes in from Andy Robson he says how realistic is the Reeder deal deal for us in terms of the type of transfer he seems like a quality performer at a good age but sell-on margins would be reduced due to the high transfer fee it would be a shift in strategy but for me a step that would need to be taken to improve in Europe so this is sort of the uh, the balancing act that we've been talking about on the show for the last couple of months is how do you get good talented players in that are going to move the needle in terms of Europe without changing the fabric of your strategy. So what are your general thoughts on the, the reader deal as a, as a player, firstly, coming in, what would he bring? And then the type of deal it would be and the strategy around it. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to be a bad uh, uh, participant in this and do those in the opposite order. Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what popped into my head. And I'm too old now to, to recalibrate my dying brain. Um, so I think... You know, the, the speculate to accumulate is is kind of a common um, way that this is framed. But I I think of it more so as a, a, a bracketing of talent. So and this is why I, it kind of hinted at it in the prior part of our conversation about, you know, pulling up that wage bill structure to another notch. Uh, so instead of 45 being the top and maybe it's 60 or, you know, something like that. So keep inching that up. And um you know, that's because if you're going to attract players with kind of outlier talent and, and that's, um, you know, that that's one of the things that I my, my observation and analysis on Jota was and continues to be, despite him being in a very talented player, obviously, he, he, he didn't have any real outlier talent. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I, again, I did a thread on this a little while ago is Frimpong clearly had an outlier talent. Right. He, he's amongst the elite in Europe uh, and maybe even the world as far as pace and the ability to carry the ball at speed and and to threaten a, a defense in that way. 
Um, that's might be, and again, I, I see people amongst our support that are like, yeah, he's not a 50 million pound player and all this other stuff. Well, the market dictates what they're worth. And if some, you know, one of these huge clubs are willing to pay that kind of money for a world-class um, player in that specific regard, then, you know, th- that tends to be what draws big transfer fees. A guy like Mudrick, who we saw firsthand this past season, right? He just has a different gear um, that, you know, uh, most other players don't have and the ability to do things at an elite speed. And Jota didn't have that, doesn't have that. Um, you know, he, while a very good player, he just, he, he would struggle a little bit more amongst against, even against a guy, if you go back and watch the games against um, Aberdeen, when um, what's his name, Aaron, uh, not Ramsey. <laughs> Uh, he was he was the right back that ended up going to Liverpool, and he's he's loaned out now. I forget his name off the top of my head, but he's a you know quality young, athletic, dynamic right back in in the Scottish league. And just on a physicality perspective, Jota didn't have enough to like blow by him, right? Um, and and that that's it, that's that fine margin. That's that you know that's when you get up into these higher level teams. Not only do the guy are they smart, work hard and have the size, but they also have the quickness and the pace. And, and that's why, you know, some of these guys are worth 60, 80, a hundred million um, in, in the transfer window. So Calvin Ramsey is who you're talking Calvin about. Calvin Ramsey. There yeah. we go. I had, a, we I had go. a brain fart too. <laughs> Thank you for looking that up. <laughs> um, so I, I think we, we got what would be the equivalent. This is why actually I was very positive on this transfer from Jota is that, you know, you could argue that's like a mid, to you know, like a, maybe a, a a fourteen to six kind of Premier League transfer fee for a winger that we could reasonably expect to get, you know, one of our wingers that's going to go to the EPL for twenty five million. You would think, you know, they're probably not going to be good enough for the most part to go to Liverpool or Chelsea or or or, or any of the Manchester clubs, um, and we got that money for a guy who's probably not good enough for that. Right. He, does, he doesn't have that outlier skill. I mean, again, he's a good player, but he's, you know, so the fact that we were able to get that kind of transfer fee out of a Saudi club for a player's, in my estimation, is probably not, you know, that's not what the going rate for Jota, I would think, in England would probably be. Um, I think that's a very positive thing. And the fact that we're now maybe able to source talent that does have some of those elite kind of skills or at least more elite type of skills um, and that's what this guy's purported to be is that he's a real, um, quality, creative midfielder. That's also very good box to box. And one of these really high engine motor guys, who's always kind of in about it, so to speak. Um, and you know, so think about like a younger Scott Brown with creativity, <laughs> right? That kind mm. of, and, and, and that's the kind of guy that then you can sell for 40 million, 50 million. So I, I think it's that issue. It's not speculate to accumulate. It's buying a higher quality of player and then being smart about selling when you can uh, and giving them a platform to display uh, their talent. And that's, we, we dabbled on that a little bit with Edward. Like Edward was the one player that we kind of went to that tier to do it. And then obviously we know how that played out um, and and kind of fell apart. And also it was a really... Um, from all the reports I read, it wasn't a great um, contract. I think it was, I think PSG had like 40% or something, some crazy yeah. number on the sell on. Um, 
so that that's if you ratchet up the quality of players that you bring in on at upside of that talent that's how you uncap and start selling guys like there's no reason that we can't sell a guy like mudrick for 60 70 million there's nothing about the ukrainian league or um that club that i would say well i can't celtic do that i i think it really is a talent issue um and you know being able to do some things in europe that are you know functional you don't have to win because <laughs> obviously Shakhtar hasn't but you know at least put your put uh good forth you know put forth a, a competitive team uh that really you know shows well in Europe and profiles the players um so I think that's that should this kind of player would be towards that kind of step Mm. Well, there's a breakdown of him um, on the Celtic way. And the one thing that really stood out to me was that he's more of a box-to-box sort of number eight player by the looks of it. But what really stands out is his defensive qualities in that he's in in terms of comparing him to other attacking midfielders and wingers in the Swiss league. He's in the top percentiles of all the defensive metrics. So that means like front foot defending as a midfielder is going to be absolutely vital for Celtic if they want to do something in Europe because that means you're not going to get countered as much. That seems to be a good fit. And the one point I would make about him is that obviously 16 million is a higher risk to spend on a, on a player. But if you think about it in the way that if Celtic were to spend 6 million on this player and sell him on a couple of, couple of years later for 16 million, that's the same as Celtic paying 16 million for him and selling him on for 26 million, which you could reasonably expect to do as probably a, 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 it's a higher failure rate for these sort of higher end players because 26 million you wouldn't really be happy with but right. it's still the same amount of money that's the lowest amount you're going to get whereas you know if you buy them for 6 million you might sell them for 9 million and then the profit margins are moving slower and slower down the way and um, whereas higher risk higher reward but i also think the ceiling is is lower as well for the amount of fail rate that you could have for these players um unless he turns out to be an absolute useless flop which i highly doubt he's going to be with over 100 appearances for young boys already at the age of 21 so i mean like he seems like a really good player well and that that the, the other part of this and you know again we'll we'll see how much of this persists but uh you know Ange was um you know, very specific in talking about uh, prioritizing quality of character, kind of commitment, meaning that, you know, kind of a profile of, I'll call it maturity, you know, professionalism. Um, and, you know, so th- there are ways to kind of scout for that, um, to do your homework and uh, trying to ascertain, you know, what kind of person are you um, bringing into the club? Um, so hopefully that is still a priority because that that's the kind of thing that will ameliorate, you know, that kind of risk, meaning that, you know, there's certain inherent risks, may, you know, catastrophic injury or, you know, people experience traumas in their life that change things and, you know, um, cr- create all kinds of issues. But, you know, generally speaking, someone who at 21 is already at conducting themselves like a good professional, you know, that's not typical for a lot of 21 year olds. Um, so if you're able to uncover those kind of people, then, uh, and again, it's a mosaic, it's a spectrum, but um, if you combine that with, with high end talent, uh, cause that, that, that creates um, a, a better risk reward. So you're, you're more likely to have somebody like that, even if they're not the absolute net, you know, if I, when I looked at him, the thing that I didn't see 
was um, like elite pace, right? He's a, he's a quick guy. He's a fast guy, but he doesn't, he, I couldn't see that he's got that like wow gear, which again, mm-hmm. he's probably 50 million <laughs> if he has that. Right. So that's, again, it goes back to what, what level we're able to, to, to get. Um, but we don't have, and this is, you know, Alan and I have been talking about this for almost, you know, basically two years now is our, our view has been my strong view that we need that kind of box, the box engine, um, you know, of, of also physicality for, particularly for Europe. Um, and so he, he, he does seem to fit that, uh, with that. He's also quite good, um, creatively and technically and on the ball. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's an exciting rumor. Um, but I, again, I, I think the more exciting part, whether it's him or someone else is that this idea of ratcheting up our profile and that, that all fits with Rogers coming back. Like, so this isn't happening in a vacuum. Uh, and it probably would have happened had Ange stayed even as well, because again, if you're going to prioritize getting better in Europe, you've got to get that extra level of talent through the door, because as we've seen now system, um, can only take you so far, um, in order to compete, particularly against those, you know, pot two and pot one teams. Mm. I know I'm sort of doubling and tripling up on questions here, so I do apologize, but they all overlap. Um, the other player that Celtic have been linked with, and it seems like it is going to go through eventually. He's been sort of trying to force the move himself. And that's the Korean Yang Hun Jun who comes from Gangwon FC in the K-League, 21-year-old. Seems to be like a winger slash striker type player. Marco Tolio coming in as well. He's confirmed from Melbourne City. So they're, they're two incomings as forward players. Um, my, like I said, Maeda has signed a new deal for four years. Kyogo has signed a four-year deal as well. So like, even if Abada leaves in this window, which I would expect him to probably do and it'd probably be a smart move from Celtic, Celtics seem to be relatively okay in the forward line, which is an unusual situation for us to be in that we almost have two players in this in each position at the start of the season. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I, I saw one of the other uh, questions on on Twitter was about you know how um, can we reasonably expect Rogers to utilize Kyogo, and I, I think that's it's a great question, and I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't have a strong view on that because um, you know Rogers' sides have not been as um, isolating in their of their strikers generally um at least from what i've seen um even at his time at, at lester when he did play more of counter-attacking with with vardy at times so there, there are some similarities there play, getting striker in behind and, and that kind of thing but um so yeah i so again i in looking at all of these players or i should say both of them with telio and and I, I forgive me, I forget the last name. Hyun or uh, my, my, my Korean's uh, worse Hinjun. than my English. Hinjun. Hyunjun Yang. So Yang comes first, as far as I know, and you know the way that yeah, okay, yeah, Korean names work. So, um, so again, they both look very technically proficient, and um, you know, benchmark very well in their leagues. So they were kind of dominant players in their leagues. Um, I don't think either of them have that top gear. So again, they're 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 not in the uh, Haksavanovic area where I would say is even a winger. He's that slow. Um, they're not in that criteria. I mean, uh, they're very quick. I mean, they're Telio in particular looks very quick, um, but probably not that European level, you know, 
um, elite pace, uh, which again, not surprising. I think it's yeah, like hard for us po- to get that. Yeah, yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, um, you know, it'd be nice to get one of them at some point, <laughs> uh, depending on when we need to invest in them. Maybe they need to be 18 or 19 or something. But um, but yeah, so uh, very promising. I again, the vast majority of the wingers that we bring in, if they've have if they have the mentality and they have the basic, you know, kind of technical skills and talent, they're going to they're going to produce. I mean, that, that's just um the way it is at Celtic. I mean, you, 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 particularly with, uh, you know, we've already seen the, how Rogers for the most part utilizes wingers. Um, and we certainly, you know, they performed extremely well under Ange um, that, in, in those positions. So, yeah, I, I'm not that concerned, uh, particularly domestically about either of those players being able to be very productive. Um, I, again, it comes back to, 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 uh, the European backdrop. Um, so I, I don't think either of them are of a level. Um, what was his name? Kreider, Kreidler, Kreider. What's the guy from uh, Young Boys? Um, uh, uh, Ryder. Ryder, yeah. So I, I, I don't think, again, from what I've seen, um, they're not at that kind of next tier up in, in um, physical ability. Um, again, it's not to say they're not good players, but um so yeah good for depth good for replacements uh my hope is that uh rider isn't the only one i hope we go maybe one or two more maybe not at the 15 16 level 
but again, you, you could, you know, if the transfer budget is going to be somewhere between 30 to 40 million, you know, you can fit a number of that kind of five to 10 million tier um, in, and we already seen what that can be relative to Carter Vickers and, and Jota. And again, it just level sets up um, as far as quality depth and, and that overall resilience of the team when we, you know, um, play in Europe. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing Marco Tilio play for Celtic because everything that he seems to be good at seems to suit what Brendan Rodgers likes that type of player to uh, how to play. So I, I would expect a formation, a little bit of formation change from Celtic this year to fit Tilio in. I would say it's going to be a four-two-three-one style thing from Celtic and Tilio on the left. He reminds me very much of Harvey Barnes, who absolutely excelled under Rodgers at Leicester. He's a direct, quick winger who likes to cut in on his right foot and go straight at the opponent almost centrally rather than going on the outside, and he likes to shoot as well. Harvey Barnes was brilliant at that, as was Dewsbury Hall, who played center mid for Leicester as well, who was, you know, he was more of a box-to-box midfielder, but he was more direct, went at the opponents, dribbled the ball. So I wouldn't... Uh, I would expect him to play similar enough to how Leicester used uh, Harvey Barnes, how Rodgers used Harvey Harvey Barnes at Leicester. So that really excites me because that's something that Celtic haven't had in a while is some, I know Jota was direct, but he was direct in a different way. He liked to almost dribble around and, and make a fool of his opponents in a way. But Tilio just wants the most direct way to goal, get his shot off and, He's very direct. He's very good at shooting as well. So that's uh, yeah. I, I, I think he has that um, kind of explosion quality, more like Maeda does. Only he's got the, I think, a higher level of skill on the ball. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I agree that that directness, that ability to just kind of blow past guys in that first or second step. Which again, I think that was probably the the big thing that Jota lacks is that you know kind of quick step to beat somebody um, in tight spaces. Um, so yeah, I I I've, I think he's a very exciting. Um, I actually when I when I did my benchmarking thing on him, um, that was I mean I think he's going to be a quick um, fan favorite. I mean he's just he's one of those kind of players. Um, to me, he's almost like a a, a much quicker and faster Patrick Roberts. Um, obviously, different foot, but um, but yeah, I think he's going to be very exciting. Mm, around the same height as Patrick Roberts as well. So. Um... Yeah, he's, Small guy. He, he's, he's not, he's not the, I don't think any of the signings so far, even Ryder are, I mean, Ryder's a little bigger. I think he's more in the, you know, maybe 5'10", 5'11 area. But um, yeah, we're, we're um, so far we haven't signed anyone that's going to keep up with the, uh, the rugby team that's being uh, built on the other side of the city. No. Um, loads of people asking on Twitter, one included is John Duffy, who's asking about the goalkeeper situation and still not hearing anything. Do you think Rogers thinks Segrist or Hart are going to be uh, good enough for the season yeah. ahead? I mean, it seems that way. As as I mentioned before, when Rogers first came in, is that Hart profile is very similar to what Schmeichel profiled for Leicester City. He's a, he's a good goalkeeper, solid doesn't like to come off his line that much, is decent on the ball without being really good at it, but is confident enough to take the ball at least and has improved in the last year under Ange. So, I mean, I think it's going to be Joe Hart for the next season. That's personally where I stand. There's not too many goalkeepers on the market, especially where we're looking and, or, you know, at the level price-wise we can spend. So 
I, I don't think Seagrest is going to be the answer anyway, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've even seen uh, rumors that he's looking to go to Australia for a love interest. Um, who knows if that's true? But yeah, I, 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 this has been a bugaboo of mine for you know two years now. So I, I um, and we we have yet another manager who has um, you know a history of let's call it complicating, <laughs> complicated uh, keeper decision making. Um, so, you know, I've, I've seen, uh, WhatsApp rumors that they're trying to go back in for Forster, um, <laughs> bringing that back for a third time. God help us. Um, yeah, I, I just, I think it's, I think it's a position that is very difficult for Celtic because, uh, the domestic landscape is, is so, you know, lacking in challenge for most players, um, of that position and then to basically have, you know, 10 to 12 games a season that you're really put to significant tests. That's, that's a tough job. Like I, yeah. So I'm you've not, actually flipped on this though, haven't you? Because I have. originally you wanted well, a ball playing goalkeeper who's dominant in that way. But for Europe, you actually now think that maybe the shot stopping route is the best place to go down because it's the easiest way or not the easiest way, but it's a different way of overperforming. Yeah, so my preference for let to uh, uh, to be sacrilegious, um, my 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 preference for a bar cast type keeper. <laughs> let, let's just say, uh, you know, b- prioritizing ball playing and coming off the line over shot stopping was within the context of you know extreme uncertainty as to as to the quality of the squad and that first uh, league campaign versus Rangers. So. Um, you know, and just first season. So my, my thinking at the time was that optimizing over a full season, a 38 game campaign, what was more likely to help us win the league? It wasn't shot stopping. It was, you know, how do we score more goals with the keeper? Because the keeper's lucky to face two shots a game anyway. And I think actually um, in the grand scheme of things, I think that analysis was actually correct. What I got wrong was, um, the degree with, and I didn't expect was the degree with which Ange Ball would just completely stymie the opposition. Uh, so it, it almost didn't matter. Like we mm. could, I think we could have played, you know, um, we, we, we could have played Starfelt in goal and I, we probably win the, I mean, I'm being facetious a little bit, but it, 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 it was such an extreme domination over uh, the competition uh, once we kind of get settled in after Jota and, and Carter Vickers arrived, that you know it became not that big of an issue, and I and I think um, th- that's where I did flip a little bit and say, okay, well now now the issues I, I think we're pretty well anchored now. A lot of this risk that I was worried about domestic domestically in this transition and you know um, uh, reascending to a position of dominance over Rangers. Once that looked to be like it was likely. Uh, which I kind of came to a good feeling about that by the end of of uh, uh, the first half of that first season. Um, then it was like, okay, we we can afford this the luxury, so to speak. We don't have to optimize for domestic. Let's optimize for Europe. And to me, that's where the main difference is. If we're going to have a big run in Europe, I think um, defensive soundness, athleticism and a keeper that can win some games that we maybe shouldn't win. 
um, you know, like we saw with Forster in, in uh, both Lennon uh, tenures. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely evolved. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, like football opinions are ever evolving. The amount of shit that I've said that I've changed my mind on. This is what is, you know, quite annoying about modern football analysis and social media in particular is that you can't change your opinion apparently because like a politician, you're held to account for what you said about somebody, you know, three months ago, four months ago. Whereas I think the correct thing is changing your opinion based on the facts put in front of you. So I'm allowing you, I'm, I'm allowing you away with it, except for the barcast stuff. Obviously. Well, wow, that's a profile thing. I, I I do it to wind people up, but um, yeah, Abada was another one. I mean, I, I just completely got him wrong. I didn't. I didn't. Um, you know, he was. He's an example of um, the because at that time when I first looked at him, I didn't have the degree of advanced metrics that Statsbomb has, uh, where some of his idiosyncratic qualities uh, were are more evident, um, and. You know, I think he is a good example of a case where um, with more advanced quantification and understanding the nuance of what his skill set actually is, because he is a very quixotic player. Um, you know, so, yeah, he, he's one I, fl- I flipped 180 on him um, over his first, you know, again, first three or four months at the club. Once I, I saw him more frequently and got access to better, you know, quality as far as metrics go, um, they started jumping out you know, it became clear as to why, um, you know, he has value. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm resigned because I, you know, we, we hear things on occasion and I think the, the plan has been to play Hart one more season. Um, and I think there is a degree of complacency that, um, you know, and, and I still think an overweighting of, and again, I say this endlessly, it's not that they're not important, but an overweighting of qualitative stuff, <laughs> um, dressing room and leadership and all that stuff. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm concerned because I, I don't think he's what we need in Europe in particular. Uh, and the other part is not, not only do we need a shot stopper, we need an athletic shot stopper. We, we can't be having a guy who's just anchored you know, within his uh, six yard box. Uh, we need mm-hmm. someone who's got, you know, good quality shot stopping and then also can move. And, and because again, that that's when you get to those higher levels, our biggest problems in Europe, uh, even before, and, and Ange, it was open play. I mean, we just got carved, carved up because of the issues that we've talked about a lot at times against higher quality. But if you go back to Roger's first tenure, it was set pieces. And even under Dyla, I mean, we just, you know, set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. And again, that's where athleticism comes in to a degree. And if you don't have a keeper and that that was not Gordon, even in his best day, um, that can command that area. Um, And that's definitely been an issue with Hart. You know, you, you, yeah. if you're going to make some kind of run in Europe, you can't be giving up goals from corners and free kicks that, you know, an, an athletic keeper can can address. Mm. The one counterpoint I would make to the heart sort of leadership dressing room area is that if Reader does come in, for example, and uh, Hyung Yan does come in, that will be Tilio, 21 years old, Reader, 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the uh, Yang is 21 years old. Uh, Hadati is quite young in terms of football 
years, Matt O'Reilly still quite young. You have a very young base of a squad and experience does matter in that sense. So but that would be one counter argument I would make to that. But I mean, there are also other experienced players in the club. So who knows how much importance that actually plays without being part of the dressing room. Um, well, real quick. So th- th- this is, again, not in a vacuum. I mean, Hart had uh, a period in Italy at Torino, I think, and then he was at Burnley um, before coming to Celtic. And now we've got, um, you know, two European campaigns where we have all this, you know, data and profile as far as, okay, how good of a shot stopper is he now? Um, and this is even ignoring the fact that I think he'll go into the season, what, 36 or he'll turn 36 or something like he's an, he's not a young guy. Let's put it that way. So the likelihood is that he's going to be in some decline curve, some part of his decline curve where he's going to get slower, meaning that the issues that he's having are going to get worse. They're not going to get better. We don't know what the, the slope of that's going to be, but we, we've even seen that, seen that at Celtic is that in, Season over season, his shot stopping was not as good. And mm. again, he's not coming from a high level, right? He's not, uh, you know, Mignolet at, at Club Rouge who came in and dominated their their Champions League group from a shot stopping perspective um, because he's already shown kind of a track record of being a dominant shot stopper. So 90% of what he was, and this is where Forster, Forster his second time around was not as quick and as athletic, athletic as his first time around, but he was such an elite shot stopper. 95% of the younger Forster shot stopping is still a really good shot stopper. Hart is not working off of that base. <laughs> um, so he had already deteriorated to the point and displayed that over several seasons. That And, and again, we have the evidence now that kind of confirms this profile of what's going on. So to me, the idea that he's going to or he's likely, because again, anyone can stand on their head for, you know, these guys are professionals, keepers, so he can be in the zone for a few games. So it's not impossible, but the likelihood that he's going to deliver those kind of dominant shot-stopping performances in a Champions League group, I think is extremely low. Mm. Um, So that's, and the risk is that if he does hit an acceleration point, and we don't know when that's going to be, but we saw it this la- this past season when it happened with McGregor at Rangers, right? McGregor's was okay uh, last season. You know, he went to a European final um, as as a shot, uh, still at that point a, a, an adequate or even decent shot stopper, and then just hit a wall last season. And if that's the if this is the season that this, that happens to Hart, that all of a sudden you start to say, oh boy, even from a league campaign perspective, you start to get nervous. So to me, the mm-hmm it's an asymmetric risk reward with him. Um, That's why I've been harping on this over and over again for months now. It's like this to me is probably other than that midfielder, uh, the biggest issue that, um, you know, I worry about from a risk perspective. Just to finish up then, there are several players in the club that are going to be continuing life without Ange Postacoglu and loads of people asking, on Twitter in terms of like, who do we think are going to thrive or, or let's say not thrive under Brandon Rogers in the style of play. I think Cameron Carter Vickers is going to be a very interesting one to see how he's utilized and whether Starfelt starts as the left center back as well, or if there's a swap there, my 
thing that I'm really looking forward to for next season is seeing how Matt O'Reilly is used under Brendan Rodgers because the way that Brendan Rodgers prioritizes possessional play and possessional buildup now he has changed that over the last couple of years. It's not the same as it was when he was first at Celtic, but he still likes a possession buildup game. He likes his midfielders to keep the ball and carry the ball and be involved and basically build everything up through the midfield. So for for me, that suits Matt O'Reilly's game. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to be like. And even, look, I think people are reading too much into Matt O'Reilly's, oh, it's nice to have a happy face and <laughs> chats to you in the canteen kind of thing. Everyone knew that Ange Postacoglu didn't do that and different management styles for different players and all that. I think, yep. you know, Matt O'Reilly obviously had a brilliant start to his Celtic career. So whether or not Ange's cold shoulder had so much to do with his dipping form at the end of the season it's hard to know but I think he's definitely a player I'm looking forward to seeing Hitate is going to be very interesting to see what happens with Hitate if he's even at the club you know he seems to be another player that's been rumoured with a move out of the club but um, who do you think is going to be used in a different way to what he's currently used at Celtic and um, do you think it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing oh wow um Caught me on the spot here. Yeah, I, I think um, I agree with you. Midfield's going to be um, very interesting because I, I, it would fit pattern historically that Rodgers would lean more towards a four-two-three-one. Uh, it's not that he won't, or you know, maybe he'll see the personnel and decide otherwise. But um, that that does seem to seem to be at least on the margins. Um, a preference. And again, that would kind of make sense relative to Europe as well. Um, so I, I think who he looks to uh, populate those two holding midfielders, because you could see Hatate or O'Reilly even um, as filling that role uh, versus who would be the number 10. And again, if Ryder's coming in, he ain't coming in to sit, right? So is, is he one of those two that, that was he more of the you know, the, the eight, the, the hybrid eight next to McGregor, or would he play the 10 role? Um, I, I, I think another one would be Haksabanovich. He, you know, Allen's talked about this and had a, a very, um, I, I think, quality analysis on Haksabanovich that he might suit a number 10 role, meaning that he's kind of a fish out of water in the Ange system that, you know, um, wh- whereas if he's more of a traditional 10, that might suit him quite a bit. Um, and cause he is, I mean, he's, he's an incredibly talented guy on the ball. Um, so he, he could be another player where, you know, uh, a very different setup, uh, in role could, could really help him. Um, I, I think the other obvious one, uh, and I think again, from what we had, um, I, I, boy, I feel horrible. I forget his name. The guy we had on from Leicester um, th- talking about how Rogers had migrated a little bit towards using some inverted fullbacks um, is, is Greg Taylor. Because again, at a European level, I, I am, you know, I'm convinced that Greg Taylor is not a, an overlapping up and down fullback for us in Europe. Um, I think a lot of his relative value was in playing that inverted role. Um which is interesting because I think Johnson's different. I think Johnson actually does suit more of a traditional, you know, more, you know, almost like the Lustig role that Rogers had where we'd migrate into more of a back three and let Tierney bomb on, you know, 
Taylor's not the bomb on her. <laughs> I don't think. Um, so maybe that's Bernabe. I, I don't know. But I, I think that how Taylor would be used and what his role could be, I think could be a material shift. Um, but yeah, I, you know, you have a WADA too. I mean, a WADA, um, he, he certainly fits that kind of double pivot role. I don't know how much he compliments McGregor. I have my concerns about that, but um, obviously very good player, uh, but just didn't quite have a defined role under Ange either. So again, if you have four, two, three, one, you kind of have two of those positions that are more natural for him maybe than an attacking eight, which I, I don't think he, he suits at all. Um, so yeah, I, I think there could be quite a bit of movement there and, and enhance some players and maybe detract a little bit just because of the fit and, and what the roles might be. Hmm. It's an exciting time because I will say that you mentioned it at the start of the show. It was getting a bit hard to analyze Ange's games because they did the same thing every week. Like, you know, like you knew and it was good and it was predictable and it was nice that it was predictable because you knew what you were going to get. And if you were losing, you kind of knew that they had another gear to go up in. Whereas now going into the season, it's an exciting change that we're looking at the squad and we're like, oh, he could be used this way or he could be used that way. And I like you, you almost forget that Celtic have actually plenty of players that Ange didn't play really at all. Like Kobayashi, like, is, is is he going to be a player under Rodgers? You just don't know. Starfelt, you know, we mentioned that uh, you mentioned Seagrest potentially leaving for love per Jacinta <laughs> is off from, from the Celtic women's team. So like, will that impact Car Starfelt's future? For example, you just don't know. I, I would say it's doubtful, but, Potentially, you never know. And um, footballers have lives too. So we allegedly, shall we, well, allegedly. allegedly, yeah. People don't like to <laughs> people don't like to believe that, but you know they they actually do. They're normal people, which is uh, quite surprising. And um, I think that's pretty much all we have to get through. That's all the transfers. I think we covered everyone's questions on Twitter. If we didn't, I apologize. We will try to get to some more of them as well in the off season. Um, but if you do keep them coming in, Huddle Breakdown is our tag on Twitter. We don't have a thread yet. I have not downloaded threads, so we'll see if we ever move to threads. I don't know if we will. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, until then, James, we will uh, be back again. Hopefully we can wrangle Alan Morrison in for a show at some stage if his contract allows it. I don't know. Maybe he's over his minutes or something. I, I don't know. These five-star hotels in Monaco, I hear, are really nice. So I, he might be there a while. Yeah, difficult. It's difficult to get staff these days. That's that's for sure. James, thanks very much. Thanks for jumping on the call on your on your off season. I I'll let you have a holiday at some point. Always enjoy it, Ender. Yeah, and thanks to everybody who is listening or watching. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit like, subscribe, and leave a comment. And if you're listening to it, um, make sure if you're listening on Apple Podcasts to leave us a review because it gives us a nice little bump on the algorithm as well. Even if you're wanting to call us shite. It's fine with me as long as you leave a review. Okay. James, thanks very much. And to everyone, we'll chat to you next week. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> It's all about the game, and how you play it. All about your drive, and if you can take it. All about your death, and if you can play it. It's all about pain, and who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me. I am the control.
deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.